Our scripture reading this morning is from Hebrews, the entire chapter 6. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the holy gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance, because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and can you continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. When God made his promise to Abraham, Since there was no greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us, may we be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, the reading of his word. Well, today we are going to talk about something that is only mentioned once in that whole chapter we just read. That's not a bad thing, but I think the reason why we're going to spend so much time on this idea is because the idea of the Holy Spirit informs everything that is going on behind the scenes of that chapter that we just read. And I think, honestly, sometimes it's good to slow down a little bit and really think about what we're reading rather than just blowing through it to get through to the end of the chapter. And, you know, that's kind of what we're going to do at the spiritual retreat on Saturday as well. Just slow down and focus in and see what God is trying to speak to us, even in the minutest details of what we might be reading in his word. So today, of course, we're going to talk about this idea of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit as a gift from God. And I thought before we dug in too much, I wanted to ask those of you here, 
What is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit, Betty says. Good question. She's went straight for the Trinity. I'll take it. Anybody else? Comforter. Good. Our guide. God with us. Somebody was in my head already. Ah, seals us for the day of redemption. Anybody else? Ooh, our convictor. The fun part. Motivator. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, these are all elements of what the Holy Spirit is. I think sometimes, though, we're not totally sure what to do with the Holy Spirit. We understand God, God our Father, God the Creator. We understand Jesus is the Son who is sent to redeem us. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we can say all these things, and that's great. But how does the Holy Spirit really work in our hearts and in our lives? And what does it motivate us? Who, how does it motivate us to live into where God is leading us? I grew up in a church that was part of the Assemblies of God, and it's very much a Pentecostal, charismatic denomination. And for them, speaking in tongues was the sign of the Holy Spirit. If you spoke in tongues and in the heavenly language, as they would say, then they said that you were baptized with the Holy Spirit. God was with you, and you could do whatever God wanted you to do. You had God's power in you in the Holy Spirit. But the flip side of that was if ever they, if ever you were in a worship service and like nothing was really happening, nothing was big was going on, nobody was speaking in tongues, there was this feeling of like, well, God just wasn't there. Because nothing big, there wasn't the showy thing going on. Moving into the, the Presbyterian world, the Holy Spirit was looked at much differently than it was in my Assemblies of God upbringing. When I was presented to be a candidate for ordination, some of the pastors there looked and saw Assemblies of God in my background and started to ask me, what do you think about the Holy Spirit? How does it really work? And really what, what they're trying to press at is, in Presbyterian, everything's got to be like in order. Things can't be too out of control. And there's this feeling that sometimes the Holy Spirit might push us to seem a little bit out of control and out of order. If things were too big or too showy, then it might be distracting. Honestly, I think there's truth to both of these, and the truth is somewhere in the middle. We don't want to be too showy, too distracting, too hung up on the big things, but we also don't want to discredit what the Holy Spirit can do in our lives and in our worship and what it could push us to do. Even getting back to our spiritual forefathers and in the creeds, they kind of seem to wrestle with what to do with the Holy Spirit. In the Apostles' Creed, which we read not too many weeks ago, after this running line of who God is and who Jesus is, we get this line about the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's all the Apostles' Creed says about the Holy Spirit. I believe in it. What does it do? How does it work? I don't know. A couple of centuries later, we get to the Nicene Creed, which has a little bit of a bigger statement about the Holy Spirit. The Nicene Creed says this, And in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who together with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets 
And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church, it continues to talk about the church. A little bit more about the Holy Spirit and what it does and how it's part of the Trinity and how we're to worship it. And finally, we get up to, the, to today with the EPC essential number three about the Holy Spirit. It says, the Holy Spirit has come to glorify Christ and to apply the saving work of Christ to our hearts. He convicts us of sin and draws us to the Savior, indwelling our hearts. He gives new life to us, empowers and imparts gifts to us for service. He instructs and guides us into all truth and seals us for the day of redemption. That's a pretty good statement about what the Holy Spirit is. But in these verses today, I want to dig in and see what the author of Hebrews is trying to reveal to us about the Holy Spirit, how it is active in our lives and the life of all believers, and how we can hold more firmly to its working in our lives. Now, obviously, this isn't going to be an exhaustive list of everything the Holy Spirit does, how it works in each and every one of us as individuals. But hopefully, by the end of it, we'll, we'll be pointing in the right direction of how the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. And if I wanted you to walk away with one thing today, it would basically be this point. That the gift of the Holy Spirit is God's presence with us that anchors us in our faith and empowers us to participate in God's kingdom. This is what I would like for you to understand today as we talk about the Holy Spirit. So let's begin with that very first line there, God's presence. The Holy Spirit is God's presence with us. I don't know if any of you are familiar with the five love languages, Gary Chapman, and the different ways that we love each other, that we receive love. Me and my wife, Courtney, have talked about this a lot because we have different love languages. We show love in different ways. I'm not much of like a personal touch person, like I don't show love by touching Courtney, like likes to hold hands and hugs and all that stuff. I just have to work a little bit to show love towards her because that's not my natural inclination. For me, it's quality time. Now, quality time is basically when you spend time with somebody and not just like sit next to them and exist next to them, but when you sit with them and, and are present with them, having a conversation actually being in the same place together, not stuck on your phones, just sitting there and feeling like you're, you're fine because you're in the same room, but actually acknowledging that the person is with you and spending that quality time. How you listen, how you relate to that person, and what do you do is important when you're spending quality time with us. And when in God's presence in the Holy Spirit, this this is, this is very true for us, too, because it's God showing us that he's spending quality time with us. In verse 17 of what we read today in chapter 6, it says, Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. The unchanging nature of God's purpose has been very clear since the beginning, that God wants to be with us. God wants to be present with us. And we're often the ones who miss it. At the beginning of creation, it says that God's spirit was hovering over the unformed waters. God's spirit was right at the beginning of creation, desiring to be with creation and desiring to mold it into what God intended it to be and to give it purpose and meaning. 
Fast forward a little bit to when God is leading the children of Israel out of Egypt and they're wandering around in the desert and they have this tent for worship that they call the tabernacle and God's spirit rested in the tabernacle. Exodus chapter 40 verse 34 says, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter into the tent because the cloud abode above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. As the Israelites were wandering around in the desert, they took this tabernacle with them, and it was an image of God's presence with his people. We even get an image of God's presence speaking through the prophets in the Old Testament. Only one example, the prophet Ezekiel and his calling narrative says, And he said to me, this is God speaking to Israel, Son of man, stand up on your feet. And I will speak to you. And he spoke. The Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. The prophet Ezekiel was filled with the Holy Spirit to tell the people of Israel to prophesy to them what God wanted for them. And hopefully to to help them understand how God was going to judge them if they didn't listen. So the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, filled the prophet Ezekiel to be present with him to remind him, to remind them that God was present with the Israelites. And when we get to the New Testament, we are reminded of the Holy Spirit and God's presence with Jesus. When Jesus is baptized, as he comes up out of the water, the Gospel of Mark says he saw heaven being torn open, and the Spirit descended on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my Son whom, I'm lo- whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So we get this image of God's spirit as a dove coming down to rest on Jesus as a reminder that God is present with us and with Jesus and through Jesus. As Jesus walked around and interacted with everybody, God was present with everybody he came in contact with. And the last image I'm going to give you is God's presence with the church. After Jesus ascends into heaven and everybody's standing around wondering what's next, how are things going to happen, they return to Jerusalem And all of a sudden, in Acts chapter 2, it says, A sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So from the beginning of creation all the way through Scripture until now in the church's age, we have images of God's Spirit coming to remind his people that I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. No matter where you are, no matter where you go, no matter how far away it feels like you are from God, God is with you through the presence of his Spirit. And God isn't just like with his people from that quality time example I gave you earlier. God's not just like sitting next to people, but he's deeply with us. He's empowering us, working with us, and through his people, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And now the Spirit is poured out on all believers, it says, through the act of the church, that we all have God's presence with us wherever we go. That Holy Spirit is a reminder that God is here, that he will always be with us and he will always be present. Not distant, not removed. We don't have to go somewhere special to find God. Now, sure, you can go somewhere special and become more aware of God's presence and the Holy Spirit in your lives. Going for a walk, going out in nature. 
feeling the wind or the breeze on your face, going to the ocean, seeing the power of the waves crashing on the beach, those can make us more aware of God's presence, but it's just the reminder that God is always there. His Holy Spirit is always with us, always present, always working in our lives. And when we become more fully aware of God's presence through the Holy Spirit in our lives, then the Holy Spirit can get to work. And we start to get other benefits from our awareness of how the Holy Spirit works. One of the examples, um, I've been on a cruise before. I'm sure many of you have been on cruises before. Um, And I'm thankful that the cruise I went on didn't look like this video. Doesn't look like fun. Obviously, there it goes that way. It's going to come back again. Huh? (laughs) There it goes. This cruise ship needed a little bit of stabilization, right? Needs maybe an anchor to hold it to keep it from rocking back and forth. It's important in your life to have something that stabilizes you, that anchors you when the big waves of the world start to hit. In verse 12 of Hebrews 6 we read, the author says, We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. And in verse 19, it says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. After we realize God's presence in our lives through the Holy Spirit, we can make the Holy Spirit an anchor for our soul that helps stabilize us against the forces of the powers of the world that would knock us off balance. Like the tables and chairs sliding on the boat because the ship is not stable and doesn't have anything that's holding it down. A couple of the ways that the Holy Spirit can help anchor us, like the author of the author of Hebrews says, that we are to imitate those who have come before us and who have been faithful. Many of us have come before us and have held on to their faith amidst great trials because they held fast to God and to the Holy Spirit's work in their life. Because the Holy Spirit had revealed things to them or had proven faithful that they can look and hold to that regardless of what happens in their lives. And we should place our faith in God's work through the Holy Spirit so we can continue to imitate those who through faith and patience have inherited what has been promised. I want to tell you the story and introduce you to one of my favorites. His name is Maximilian Kolb. I like him because he's got a great beard too. I'm going to recount you his story. Maximilian was born on January 8th, 1894 in Poland. In 1907, he joined the Franciscan, uh, the Franciscan order with his brother. He returned to Poland and started a monastery, taught in a seminary, supervised a radio station, and helped print magazines and newspapers that had a circulation of over one million. Maximilian would travel to Asia from 1930 to 36, where he would found other monasteries in Japan and India. When World War II broke out and the Germans invaded Poland in 1939, The monastery that he worked at was closed in 1941, and he was imprisoned and transferred to Auschwitz, the concentration camp. While he was a prisoner, he continued his priestly duties in secret. He heard confessions and celebrated the Lord's Supper with bread and wine that had been smuggled into the camp. 
One day, a prisoner escaped from the camp. And in order to discourage others from escaping, the commanders of the camp ordered that for every man who escaped, ten would die. When they began randomly choosing ten men, Maximilian stepped forward to take one man's place. He was thrown into a cell with the other prisoners that were chosen to die. And while they were there, they were left to die of starvation and dehydration. However, in the cell, Maximilian worked to keep spirits high by singing, praying, and reciting psalms. Two weeks later, they came. Four prisoners were still alive, along with Maximilian. Two weeks, no food, no water, kept alive by the singing and praying and reciting of psalms. The guards wanted the cell emptied because they needed to put more people in there and proceeded to give Maximilian and the other three prisoners a lethal injection, and he died on August 14, 1941. Through the extreme trials that he faced, being put in a concentration camp, being put in solitary confinement, basically, and no food and no water, yet he held to the anchor of his soul, to the Holy Spirit at work in his life. And he believed that even in the most dire of circumstances, you can feel God's presence. And then he celebrated with his other prisoners by singing, reciting scripture, reciting the Psalms, celebrating the Lord's Supper by smuggling in the elements. This is an example, I think, that we can follow. And an example of ways that we can remain faithful even when it feels like God isn't around. Aside from imitating those who have come before us as examples of faith, the other thing I think we can do here that helps the Holy Spirit be an anchor for our soul is basically what we're all doing already right now. We are all here, worshiping God together as a community. Worship with this community, with a community of faith, helps firm up our hold to the Holy Spirit as an anchor For the Israelites wandering around in the wilderness, carrying that tabernacle with them, the worship in the tabernacle was the center of their community. It literally was at the center of the camp. And that defined and anchored everything that they did in their world as they wandered around in the wilderness. The rhythms of sacrifices and worship helped set the rhythms and sacrifices of the seasons in life for the Israelites as they wandered without a land to settle in. Not having a place to call your own, not having a home. It's important to have something that you can center your life on. And worship at the tabernacle and God's presence in the Holy Spirit define that for them. When we come here and when we worship, we begin to set the rhythms of our life and worship around this community, this church, this scripture and God. We hear the stories, like I shared, of Maximilian Kolb, or we might hear the stories of those of us who are gathered here as to how they have remained faithful amidst trials and struggles. And in that, we allow the whole, how the Holy Spirit has impacted other people. That allows the Holy Spirit to become more of an anchor for our soul rather than be submitted to the waves and the powers of the world out there that want to knock us off balance, like those on the cruise ship video I showed you earlier. We have a really important way that we can do this coming up. I talked about our Ash Wednesday service. And during the season of Lent, that's an opportunity where we often get to fast from something. Fast from food or give up something in our lives. 
And in a world that's constantly telling us that you need more, you need something else, you need to buy this, you're going to be, you're going to miss out if you don't do this thing. When we as a church can come together in worship and say, we don't need all of that. And in fact, we can give up some of it. We can stand against the powers out there that tell us that we need more and that we're not enough. Rather, we can come in here and acknowledge that at the feet of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit that God loves us as we are. Even though we are sinners and we, we don't measure up all the time, God still loves you. Our connection with God and the ability for the Holy Spirit to act as a strong anchor in our lives and in this world are only enhanced when we as a community join together in worship and align our lives with it. So knowing that God is present and active through the work of the Holy Spirit, knowing that we have examples of people that we can follow and that when we gather together in worship, the Holy Spirit becomes an anchor for our soul, there's one more thing that happens when we become connected to the Holy Spirit. And this is where the real fun begins. That we begin to be empowered for the work of the kingdom. Verse 5 of Hebrews 6 says, Those who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age. That when we get close to God and when we allow the Holy Spirit to work on our lives, to be present, to be an anchor for our soul, we begin to taste the powers of of the coming age, the powers of the kingdom, and what God is empowering us to do. The Holy Spirit begins to work on our lives, and honestly, when the Holy Spirit does that, it may start to look a little less like the dove that came down, the peaceful little dove that lighted on Jesus. It start, might start to look like one of my other favorite illustrations of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is one of these guys. A wild goose. I don't know if you've ever come in close contact with a goose. But at a distance, they look kind of gentle and majestic. Swimming about in the water. Waddling about on land. Flying gracefully through the sky. Literally, as I came out to drive here today, a big V of Geese flew over our house. I was like, wow, that's cool. I was terrified by a goose when I was a kid. I drove over to one of my friend's houses on, on my bike, and there was a goose in his front yard for some reason, and that goose started to attack my bike with me on it. I don't like, no, this is not good. If you ever get close to one, man, they, they will make you move. They will squawk at you and flap their wings, and they can be really loud and scary. In the Celtic culture, they honor the Holy Spirit like a wild goose. It says the Celtic believers of the British Isles believe that the Holy Spirit is unpredictable, upsetting the status quo and leading people toward a new adventure with God. They found evidence of this through verse, uh, John chapter 3, verse 8. It says, the wind blows where it wills, and you can hear the sound it makes, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. On one hand, it's true. The Holy Spirit is as gentle as the dove, being God's presence with us and encouraging us, being our comforter and seal of our redemption. It can come silently planting the seeds of wisdom in our hearts. But on the other hand, the Holy Spirit is sometimes as rambunctious and crazy as a goose. 
resting and wrestling us from our sedentary and quiet ways and disturbing the status quo. This illustration actually comes from an old story of ancient Rome, where they said they thought that a flock of geese who through their loud squawking and cackling alerted a Roman city-state to an invading army because the, the geese could see that the people were coming before the defenders of the city could. And throughout Christian history, then, the, the cries of the prophets, the movements of religious communities are, are aligned to the calls of the geese saying, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. And that sometimes the Holy Spirit bubbles up in our hearts and our minds demanding us to pay attention, Pay attention. Do this. Go here. When we truly open ourselves up to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we might be moved and empowered in ways we wouldn't expect and that may seem unsettling. We may be pushed by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness like the Israelites were with the tabernacle. Or like Jesus was after he was baptized and said the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. We may be called to love and preach to our enemies like Jonah was to the Ninevites or like Ananias was to Saul after he was blinded and the Spirit came to Ananias and said, go heal Paul, go heal Saul. And I was like, you know, Saul killed Christians, right? But he still went and did it because he was moved by the Spirit. We may be called to share God's message in seemingly unorthodox ways, like Jeremiah as he wandered around the city of Jerusalem wearing an oxen yoke, or like Ezekiel who cooked his food over a pile of dung, trying to get God's message to the people so that they could understand. Or like me, you might be pushed out of a job to go home and stay at home and be a stay-at-home dad for two years. Is God working in that? Yes, God is working wherever he pushes us and wherever the Holy Spirit leads us. Whenever we discern that the Holy Spirit is moving us in these ways, we can know that it is God's presence within our lives and that we have an anchor for our faith in the Holy Spirit. And that allows us to step out in confidence, knowing that in those moments we get taste of the powers of the coming age because God is empowering us to do these things. Like I said, I grew up in the assemblies of God and there was so much emphasis placed on this gift of speaking in tongues as evidence of the Holy Spirit in your lives. This one opportunity, I was uh, talking to this one kid because I was involved in youth ministry. And he told me, he said, I wish I could receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I wish I could speak in tongues so that I could minister to my friends and evangelize to them. I said, dude, let's go talk to your friends. He's like, no, I can't. Like, I, I don't have this gift. Like, I can't do it. I'm like, no, God's with you. Go talk. He couldn't get over it. He, he, just, he, needed, he felt like he needed that. And I wished he could have known that really, because he was a believer and because he had faith in God, that God would empower him and lead him to do that. God was already pushing him to do it. He just needed to go. A positive example of the work of the Holy Spirit in my life came when I was in high school and we were, were, I was helping out with children's ministry and we had kind of a gathering of other children's ministers at our church. And I was sitting down to lunch with this lady who I'd never met before. We talked a little bit and finally she got this funny look in her eyes and she looked right at me and she goes, you're going to move in music. I was like, what? I'm helping out with kids ministry. Like I don't, 
do music. I don't really play an instrument. She's like, no, no, God, God's telling me that you're going to move in music. Okay. A couple years later, we were in need of a bass player at our church. And my friend said, I'll teach you bass guitar. I said, okay. So I learned bass guitar to play in the worship band at church. And then probably a year later after I started that, I had a friend that says, hey, I, I've got some friends who are starting a Christian band and they need a bass player. Do you want to play? Yeah, I do. At college, I worked for the college radio station on Sac State's campus. And I had opportunities to promote and share about Christian bands and music that were coming through that we were getting uh, music for and to share that with people there as well and to play that on my radio show. A couple years later, before I would come up here to be a pastor, the pastor at Fremont Presbyterian where I was serving said, you're pretty good with like this music stuff and music and worship, like you have an understanding for it. Can you lead a committee to kind of help us see where worship and stuff might be going for Fremont in the future? Sure. Years and years ago, a lady empowered and moved by the Holy Spirit looked me dead in the face and said, you're going to move in music. And now I can look back as bewildered as I was at that point and connect the dots and say, yeah. Somehow God had showed her what the Holy Spirit was going to lead me through. And here I am. If we hold on to the hope of the Holy Spirit as God's presence in our lives, if we hold on to it as an anchor for our hope of faith and in our soul, and if we allow it to move us and empower us as God wants us to do, we can do amazing things, church. The waves and movements of the world and the powers out there won't affect us. The divisions that the world wants to bring in here will not cause us to divide because we are centered on God and the Holy Spirit in our lives. So hopefully you've seen today that basically the main foundational point I wanted to get across to remind you of is this. That the gift of the Holy Spirit is God's presence with us. That it anchors us in our faith and empowers us to participate in God's kingdom. And if we do that, we can do amazing things. Amen.
Your breath 